This feast on this day of the presentation of the Lord in the temple is actually one of the most ancient feasts in the liturgical calendar of the Christian Church. It has an interesting history and some surprising implications for us in our own time and place in the unfolding of salvation history. Originally, this feast was celebrated on February the 15th, 40 days after the Feast of the Epiphany, which was thought to be, of course, the great uh, universal manifestation of the child Christ. When the Feast of the Nativity of Jesus was fixed on December 25th, this feast was moved to February the 2nd, marking the end of the Christmas season. And that's why some people to this day leave their Christmas decorations up, including the nativity scene, until today. For others, it's because we simply don't get around to doing it any sooner. <laughs> this Feast of the Presentation is always celebrated on this day, on February the 2nd. And every few years, when the 2nd falls on Sunday, it gets a little more attention. In fact, the liturgy for today, in its sort of full form, is very much like Palm Sunday. There's the blessing of candles at a place other than in uh, the main part of the worship space. There's a procession, there's lighted candles, there's a blessing, there's a proclamation, there's a gospel. So it's quite a large uh, liturgy if we did it in that full form. The gospel, however, describes this observance of the law of Moses by Joseph and Mary as devout Jewish parents. They were to present, according to the law of Moses, present their firstborn to God as a sacrificial offering in thanksgiving for the gift of life. This applied also to the members of the animal kingdom. And so the firstborn um, male lamb was to be presented to God as a sacrificial offering. Hence we get the expression, the Lamb of God, and all of that that's associated with Christ. Of course, in the human offering, it's not a human sacrifice. And so the parents were expected to take a lamb or to take uh, two turtle doves and to offer them in substitute for their firstborn child. In the case of Mary and Joseph, Luke tells us that they could offer two turtle doves or two small pigeons as uh, a symbol, first of all, of their devotedness to the law and also a sign of their poverty. Not having uh, a flock from which to choose a lamb or uh, a young uh, calf, they would do with two turtle doves. Of course, in the ceremony, the, the child is returned to the parents because God gives us life to be lived in God's own name. And with Jesus coming back to his parents to be with them and to live with them and to lead his own life 
until such time as he offers it back to God in the sacrifice of the cross for our forgiveness and the salvation of the world. This is a powerful story. And I think as we hear the details that only Luke can master, we are drawn into its dynamic, knowing that it's a story of our own life as a gesture of thanksgiving to God. In the fourth century, a Christian pilgrim, a woman by the name of Egeria, went to Jerusalem and describes in her diary the celebration of this feast that included a procession to the Church of the Resurrection, using today's Gospel text as a proclamation. In the fifth century, this particular procession um, included the carrying of lighted candles as a honor or as a sign, as we heard in the Gospel, for Christ, the light for the revelation of the Gentiles. This practice of carrying candles, of course, led to the practice of, well, blessing the candles first. And so on this feast, um, many places provide, you know, hampers of candles for everyone to take, um, and they are blessed and this feast became also known as Candlemas Day. In the churches of the Eastern tradition, this day is known as the Feast of the Meeting of the Lord, or sometimes just the Feast of Encounter. Focusing on the encounter of Mary and Joseph and Anna and Simeon through the person of Christ in a sense, saying that Anna and Simeon, representing the closing of the old tradition, meet the beginning of the new tradition in the person of Mary and Joseph and the child that they offer. The churches in the West, however, named this day the Feast of the Purification of Mary, taking up the reference in the Gospel to the law that uh, the custom that required a mother and father to present themselves in the temple for the rite of purification. So that after childbirth, then principally the mother was uh, prayed over in this ritual of purification and she then could return to the worshiping community as a full member in the temple. Generations later, in the Roman Missal of 1972, Pope Paul VI, Change the name of the feast of to the feast of the presentation of the Lord. So shifting the focus from Mariology to Christology. And in 1970, 1997, sorry, Pope John Paul II added yet another characteristic to this feast, saying that it is the day for the world day for consecrated life, a day to honor and to support religious women and men in their calling to be a light to the world as they present themselves before God and using Simeon and Anna as models for spiritual living indeed for all of us. So I'm going to pause here and there's a little quiz <laughs> to see how much of what I just said you actually remember with the right dates. 
And so all of the, the images and the ritual and the historical development of this feast, one can get lost amid these many things. But I see in this feast two insights for us. The first is that what we are doing is, as a Christian people, essentially celebrating a Jewish liturgical ritual. And in a time when there seems to be an increase in anti-Semitic behavior in our society, not that it ever actually went away, but it, it just still seems to be prevalent in our society today, we would do well, I think, to appreciate that we are all children of Abraham and Sarah, and that we want the same thing as our Jewish brothers and sisters, want to live in mutual respect and have the opportunity and the freedom to live according to our respective beliefs and traditions. So this wonderful feast pulls together those two great traditions and sets us on a trajectory of meeting God in each other. And secondly, in this wonderful story, it took the eyes of Simeon, an old man, and the faith of Anna, an old woman, to recognize the presence of divinity in an ordinary human event. In an unassuming child, in a vulnerable human being, in the simplest of encounters, there was God. It is a remarkable scene. Our encounters with the very presence of God also unfold in the presence of those whom we meet, including those who are poor and powerless, those, are de those who are dependent, those who are, are just looking for a new grasp of life, those who befriend us, and those who are afraid. From the Temple of Jerusalem to the Chapel of Our Lady of the Angels, and through countless churches, chapels, and synagogues, there is this historic thread of divine love binding us together and unleashing an amazing light through each of us, a light of goodness and truth that comes into a waiting and needing world. 